0: The Bear Down Report Podcast, featuring Mike Page, Logan Brent, Jack Wright, and Ryan Dangle. Bear Down Report. All right, folks, welcome to another special edition of the Bear Down Report Podcast. Today, we've got Jack Wright. I'm Ryan Dangle. And we brought in a very special guest, uh, a good friend of Jack and I. Uh, his name is Mike Jelinek. Mike has been a high school football coach. He coached for a short time at the Naval Academy. He's now coaching Texas high school football which is uh got to be really interesting. We'll definitely get into that at some point. Mike, we just want to say thank you so much for being a part of the Bear Down Report podcast.
1: No, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for inviting me and let me be a part of it. This is awesome what you guys got going on here. It's it's been a while. It's uh I think it's it's a shame that took us this to start having some good Bears conversations again. I miss what was it, fifth hour lunch in room 106. We solved all the problems of the Bears organization, I feel like. Yeah,
0: it's funny, Jack and I have actually talked quite a bit about that. Just, we, we took what we did at work all the time and <laughs> we've we, we turned it into something, uh, something more fun and a little bit more stable for more people to listen to. Folks, if you are looking to buy or sell a home in the Chicagoland area, You got to give my guy Jeff a call. Jeff Cadwallader, fantastic realtor, wonderful, wonderful guy. Give him a call, 630 254 4734, or visit GenevaJeff.com. That's G E N E V A J E F F.com. He grew up in the business. He brings three generations of real estate experience to the table. Amazing guy. If you talk to Jeff, Please let him know that the Bear Down Report sent you over. He'd appreciate it. We'd appreciate it. Say hello to Jeff for us. All right, Mike, let's hop into this. Mike, you uh, you grew up in Illinois in the Chicagoland area. You played uh, high school football, and you also played in college, correct? Can you tell us a little bit about your, your playing career and what that kind of looked like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So playing-wise, uh, grew up a lifelong resident in, of Naperville, played all through high school there um, from 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 Naperville, Uh, I made my way down to the University of Illinois. Uh, Walked, successfully walked on the program there. And I'm pretty sure my my career is the least distinguished of anyone to have donned a a football uniform for the University of Illinois. But it was was an awesome experience. Uh, I truly treasured every every minute of it. And it it really opened my eyes. It was at that point that I kind of recognized that I, I, I although I, I was not the most athletic or most gifted football player, I actually kind of knew something about the, the game and could see myself at least trying to make a living out of doing it and, and decided at that point that I would, I would direct my efforts towards, towards coaching. And uh, I, I, I was also in ROTC when I was in college. So I had a military commitment I had to deal with after that. But once that was done, uh, immediately went, went back to Naperville and, and got to to teaching history and and coaching football, and everything else has kind of just fallen in line from there so I, I love the sport uh, I, I love I love teaching I, I think back to it was actually a former Carl, colleague of ours, Carl hunkler, who every day used to say he it was the greatest job in the world he, he couldn 't believe that he got paid to do what he did and uh, I, I know i know I know what he meant now, and it, he was absolutely right it's it 's truly an amazing job to to be able to tell stories and and go out and coach the game of football.
0: So now your coaching career, you've coached in Illinois, you coached for a short time at the Naval Academy, and then you coach, you're now currently coaching uh, high school football in Texas. Could you maybe just talk a little bit about what that, that journey has been like for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, no matter how well you think you everything planned out, nothing really falls into place the way you had it planned. Um, I was pretty set in in Naperville. Uh, I think I was there for a total of 12 years coaching football and I would have been perfectly happy there for the rest of my career back in my hometown. Again, like I said, doing, doing what I loved and an opportunity to go to the Naval Academy presented itself and it was one of those things that I, I had always kind of wanted to do. and just wasn't was something I could not pass up. And so I had the tremendous opportunity to, to move out east to, to Maryland and I went and I taught history and, and I, I coached football for four years. Uh, I was assigned as the defensive coordinator for the, the sprint football team, which is the, the lightweight program. Uh, max weight allowance of 178 pounds. So it's kind of like a hybrid of football and wrestling, which was was really interesting, but it, it was a tremendous experience. I got to work with some of the greatest kids uh, really in the country. And I would, I would submit on the planet as well and, and again, still, still teaching history and still coaching football. Unfortunately, that, that uh, trip out there had a definitive end and my time came up and it was time to move on. So we, we decided to go to Texas, and now and we've been here for about seven months now. So I'm still a new man out here, still learning the ropes, still trying to learn my way around. And funny, you know, scouting, we, we just completed our first season, and it was one of those where when we're looking and we're scouting our opponents, I don't, I don't ever even – I can't have colors to team names. Like I, I know who I'm supposed to be looking at, but I don't know who I'm looking at. So it's a whole nother learning experience for me.
2: Hey, Mike, I was thinking the other day about the amount of time that we coached together and you mentioned Carl Hunkler and he was right. The times that we laughed the hardest, I think, maybe in our lives were possibly those times that we were on the field, uh, you know, just whatever something crazy a kid would do or something a coach would say. But I was thinking about uh, when uh, Matt Lacoste was with us recently, we had Matt Lacoste on a podcast. Uh, New England, New England Patriots tied in Matt Lacoste. and we chatted with him about his experience going to to the U of I, your alma mater, and then, you know, jumping around a bit in the uh, in the NFL, and then eventually, you know, ending up with the New England Patriots. Do you have any remembrance of of him as a as a I believe it was a freshman when we had him, uh, or any stories or anecdotes about about Matt specifically?
1: Yeah, I, I've got great memories of Matt. And I, I remember it very vividly. We I, I did have the pleasure actually of, of coaching him twice on, on bookends of his high school career, because as as you mentioned, we had him when we were uh, freshman coaches together. And that was one of those I mean, he played quarterback all through high school. Uh, and it was the old the old rule that you you put your best athlete in a position where he touches the football every play. And I mean, that's the kind of football player Matt was from, from the day he walked in at North is clear that he was one of, if not the most athletic players in that class. He stood out. I mean, he, he was tall then even he, he was physically bigger than everybody else. And we, you know, we, we gave him the ball every single play. And then I had the opportunity to coach him again, or I should say coach with him in his senior year when I found myself as the varsity offensive line coach. And, and he was just, he was a bigger, more athletic, even and more mature individual actually that time around. And, and it was, he was a lot of fun to work with. He's one of those guys that when you look back on your coaching career and you like make the short list of the people you're really glad to have crossed paths with, he's, he's definitely one of them. He's, he's in that team picture. And I, I would just throw out there one last thing, I guess, in terms of a, a specific memory. I mean, his. I can remember his last play of his high school career. I'm still pretty convinced he scored, uh, but but they they ruled he had stopped short uh, of the goal line in a semifinal game against Homewood Flossmore. and uh, we we knew he was we knew he was injured. He got injured earlier in the game, and he stayed in the game and he kept playing, and I mean it was it, it, the season was on the line, and, and we put the ball in his hands and gave him an opportunity to score. And found out later, you know, he. He played like half that game, maybe even more, I don't remember exactly when he got hurt, but, but he played that game on a torn meniscus, which was uh, pretty incredible. So, um, you know, he, he went, he, he got it fixed and uh, obviously his, his college career and his professional career, uh, sort of a testament to his, his ability to overcome that injury. But, but, you know, you can throw tough into that as well when you think about what that had to be like and he, he, there was no way he was leaving the field and and I'm pretty sure we even like called the timeout before that last play, and he he was adamant that he wanted the ball, and I, I still to this day I, I I swear he got in, but man what a what a tough kid and what a great heart and I'd I'd, I'd take I'd, I'd give anything to take a Matt Lacasa on my team every year.
2: There's certain moments that you remember or certain phrases, and, and having come from smaller schools and playing at smaller schools, coaching at smaller schools. Whenever I came, uh, you know, around the varsity staff or around you guys, Joe, I will never forget you guys looking at him one day at practice and saying, that kid will play on Sundays. That struck me because I had never been around elite Division One kids, uh, student athletes, you know, or much less anybody that had the potential to play in the NFL. So that just sticks with me. I was just in awe at that moment. That kid will play on Sundays. Wow, it was huge.
1: Yeah, and and we had, had I mean we had a we had a couple others that had come through before him too, and and I, I want to say it was probably uh, Sean Drendel, the head coach, w- was probably the first one to to have identified that, and and I I'm pretty sure they saw that in him when he was a freshman, and and it was he did not disappoint.
0: Now, Mike, you've coached high school football in Illinois at a uh, at a pretty competitive school and now you're coaching in texas now i have never seen a high school football game in texas but i've been down to a high school stadium in texas which is was better than a lot of division three school stadiums i I couldn't believe it it's it's a totally different atmosphere would you maybe just talk briefly a little bit about what that's that's kind of like the, the differences that you see between the two
1: yeah, absolutely. And I get that question a lot. And, and it's funny, I get that question from people down here in Texas, too. I think more than anything, because they want to confirm for themselves that, that Texas high school football is indeed the, the greatest thing on the planet. Um, there's, there's parts of it that I think they oversell themselves a little bit. There's, I mean, at the end of the day, football is still football. Um, there's, there's still a bunch of 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds. But it is a different thing down here. It's a whole different animal. And, and I guess I could break it down into a couple different categories. You know, the the first one, I would say facilities. You mentioned the football stadium. So we play our home games in a $40 million stadium. It's, I mean, it's, it's unreal. You you can do, you can do a Google search, you know, do a Google search for uh, McKinney ISD stadium. And, and you'll see, you'll see the facilities we play in and the other teams in our district. We are, I believe, again, I've only been, here for seven months. I've been through one football season now. I believe we're in the toughest district in the state of Texas. Uh, and we play teams, we play Prosper, we play Allen. They're all in our district and they all play in $40 million stadiums too. I mean, we, we don't play in a bad facility uh, throughout the entire year. Um, at our own school, we have, we have a 50 yard indoor facility that's, that's you know, striped for, for use by football. So, so when it rains, no problem, we're indoors. It's too cold outside, which was, was a bit of an issue this year because, I mean, we, we, went, we delayed our start five weeks. Our, our last game was only two weeks ago. So we were playing football well into December and, and we were a first round out in the playoffs. They're, they're still playing in the playoffs now. The state championships won't be for another two weeks. So, so it's nice having that. Our weight room, um c- comparing it to f- from from our school where it's probably four times the size square footage we have 36 full up racks like the multifunction racks with pull down benches so so we can get the entire varsity team in there with paired up in partners two guys to a rack and and everyone the entire team lift at once it's it's pretty incredible. Um, we also have a, a, a dedicated sports period in the state of. I, I think the state of Texas might be the only ones that that have it. Uh, it's somewhat controversial, but but what it does is like so. I have one period a day that I coach. It, it, I coach PE. It's a sports period with with football players, and we have a a varsity period, a JV period, and a freshman period. And, and that basically gives us one hour every day of what, you know, we lift three times a week during the school day. Uh, and then the other two times a week when we're in season, one day is a special teams walkthrough. So we don't have to waste time out on the practice field doing that. We do it during the school day, during the sports period. We can spend the time uh, watching game film and, 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 and just doing actual, you know, coaching uh, off the field without a football too during that time period. So, so that alone is a big difference from, from what you get just in terms of opportunities and facilities in the state of Illinois. I think when you look at the season two, and, and in reality, I think this is the bigger difference. The, the, the facilities are nice, but, but I've seen plenty of schools that can be successful without having good facilities, right? You can overcome all of those limitations. But a certain aspect of it is just math. And, and we play here in Texas, it's a 10 game regular season as opposed to a nine game regular season. You're also allowed two full length scrimmages in the preseason. And then we have spring ball. You have, you have a 18 practice spring period where 12 of those practices are full contact. So in May, we have a mo- another month of football. And so if you just do the math and, and I'll throw out being at a program where like you go to the playoffs. So let's just say the average, average kid in the state of Illinois is gonna spend four years and play nine games a year. They're gonna play in 36 games in four years of playing football at the state of Illinois. In the state of Texas, that same kid is gonna play, their are 10 games a year plus two scrimmages. So they're gonna play 12 games every year, That's 48 when they walk out the door. They're essentially getting an entire season. And, and I think most coaches would agree that you know, there's nothing like competition, full speed, live competition. And, and so you're, again, just your average run of the mill high school football player in the state of Texas is essentially playing an entire extra season of football from what your average run of the mill high school player is in the state of Illinois. And then when you add the playoffs to it, the playoffs in Texas, it's a six week playoff, as opposed to five, right? So the maximum number of games, you know, four, you know, or I guess there's eight classes. So 16 teams in the state of Illinois are going to play a 14 game season. In Texas, if you consider the 10 game regular season, six playoffs, two scrimmages, the teams that go to the state championship have an 18 game season. And that's, I mean, that's, that, that's just, you can't substitute for that, that time in game experiences. Uh, and, and I guess one other difference too, which kind of surprised me, and I think back to Naperville, you know, we competed on, on really six levels. We had a freshman A and B, sophomore A and B, JV and varsity. Here in Texas, there's freshman AB, and then there's JV, and then there's varsity, that's it. And, and by rule, all seniors must be varsity players. No seniors are allowed to play on JV. So if you're a really good sophomore, you're playing varsity as a sophomore. You're, you're. I mean, you're getting over 36 games of varsity experience at at the highest level. And and to me, that's. I think that's the, the Those are the biggest differences between high school uh, football in Texas and Illinois. And the the rest kind of just falls into place. Uh, again. I, I, I witnessed what I believe to be the most competitive district. Uh, the worst team in our district this year was, was three and seven. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to degrade anything from like the old DVC, but, but that team that went three and seven was, would have beaten almost I, – I on some years it would have beaten any team in the DVC. I mean, we, we played every single week. I'm a, I'm a defensive coach and we were game planning every single week for a D1 quarterback, a D1 running back, and probably two D1 wide receivers and at least one or two D1 offensive linemen. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is here. So there's yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh, I want to ask about that in a second, because I, that, I think that's really interesting, but really quick. What about participation numbers? I know that that football throughout the country has seen a decline in, in, in high school participation. Is that the same thing in Texas? And also you got to tell us a little bit more about the stresses of, of having to prepare for D one prospects every week.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I, I will, I will stipulate uh, first and foremost that again, this was my first season and and COVID changed a lot. Um, I'm, I'm at a school now that, that there's six levels in Texas and we're a 6A school, so we're among the biggest. In our district, our, our school population is just over 3,000. And I mean, in our district is Allen. Allen is a school of 7,000 kids. So, so that's, who we're, that's who we're playing, right? Um, we're, we're at the highest level in Texas. And I think on a, on a normal year, at least the conversations I've had and, and what I've been told to expect the participation numbers are about the same. So again, at a school of about 3,000, we typically get about the same kind of numbers that we were getting in Naperville. This year was down. Uh, our freshmen, for example, we, we would we would expect to get about 100 freshmen, um, may, maybe a little bit more. On our freshman team, we had 54 show up this year. and And it dwindled throughout the course of the season. We had a, a number of people who You know, quit went away. It it turned out to be too much for them. So where where you might end up at like an 80 number, we ended up closer to like 40 when it was said and done. Now, the the head coach had said, and a bunch of the other coaches had said too that they were they knew it was going to be that way. They had gotten emails from parents ahead of it saying, "Hey, we're not our kid. Our kid would normally be playing football. We're not letting him play football because of COVID." So we know we know that there were a number of people we lost. Yeah, and so we've been in contact with, with those kids throughout and, and every indication we've got is that they're, they're still interested and once, once COVID clears itself out, uh, we expect to, to get them back and, and, and regain them back into the program. So hopefully we'll be able to recover that.
2: Mike, if you think about your playing and coaching experience at the high school level and compare some of those similarities and differences to your experiences playing and coaching at the college level, what stands out as some of the things that are the most distinctly similar or, or different to you?
1: I, th- I think I'll start with the, the most dissimilar because maturity is the biggest one there. And, and having, having spent time at, at all levels of the high school, you do one of the really nice things about getting to coach on the varsity level. I, I firmly believe that, that most adolescent males develop they develop the most somewhere around that like sophomore year in high school right and so you see a bunch of uh, a, a bunch of nitwits come in as freshmen and you're like oh oh my gosh there's no way these kids are going to make it and, and then when you get to see them come out on the back end it's like wow that that was amazing whereas by the time they show up at college they're already there and they walk in the door as freshmen they're they're still they're they're pretty well developed and they're pretty mature and so from a coaching perspective i I think back to all those times i I swear we spent most of our time coaching freshman football teaching them how to get in the lines and 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 how to do the most basic like how to count You, you don't have to you don't have to spend time doing that as a football coach when you're at the college level you're like man it's like it's x's and o's and I can, use, I can use a different language with them. I can talk to them you know, about, I, I can say cover two and they know what it means, right? And so it, it's, a, it's, it's a huge difference in just the conversations you can have with the players. And as a coach, you can spend a lot more time doing a deep dive and, and actually game planning and, and, and have new wrinkles and have new things every week for specific opponents. You can do a little bit of that at the varsity level at the, when you're talking high school, but you always have to be careful because a lot of times if you put too much in, you, you start getting mistakes happening on the field because it's too much for them, it's overload. So, so in an essence, you, you can never get too far away from the basics. I think that's, that's the biggest difference is maturity, and, and knowledge of the game. And I feel like at the college level, it, admittedly my experience at the Naval Academy, I was dealing with a, a different population of students than what are probably playing football at most other colleges. Um, but, but I never had issues with motivation and like hard work. They were there, they were there to, to get after it. And they were there every day to get after it. And from and so the moment they walked on the field to the moment they walked off, you know, for some of those guys, that was, that was the best part of their day, because, because they knew, they knew it was going to be the easiest part of their day, right, which, which was also then a blessing for me as a coach. Uh, I don't, I don't believe that's the the case necessarily at every college, and I know that's not the case um, at the high school level. I think, I think probably the, the the biggest similarity that comes to mind, and it's not even necessarily football specific, it's just that experience you get from spending time, the amount of time you spend with with these kids. And whether it's at the high school level when, and and you guys probably have witnessed this too, when a student sits in front of you in the classroom, they're a different person than they are when they walk out on the football field, right? And I, that, to me, that as a coach, that's one of the most rewarding things is that even if a kid's in my class, if they're playing football, I'm spending way more time with them in football than I am in the classroom. And, and you get an opportunity to build different relationships. And that's, that's no different even, even at college. The, the time you spend interacting one-on-one, just small groups with your position group, you get to see a different side of kids. Uh, oftentimes, they, they become more, they, well, they will become more comfortable with you and they'll show you sides that, that they otherwise might not show you. And, and you just get to develop a a really deeper relationship with them. And I think that's a universal across all sports. Right? So it's not necessarily specific to football. It's not because I was uh, you know went from Naperville to, to the Naval Academy. I think that's that's a universal across all sports at all levels. Just the the relationships you can build and and when you establish a, a sense of trust with, with players, the, the more, ultimately the more you get out of them, the more successful they become. And then the more you enjoy it on the back end, watching those kids succeed, because you see the time that they put into it and and, and their successes, you know, become your successes because you're just so, you get so happy to see them realize the potential that you know they've always been able to get. And, and just to know that you, you know, maybe, maybe, played some small piece and getting them there. That, that's, that's why we do it, right?
0: Absolutely, could not agree with you more. It's especially fun when you have an athlete, both in class and on the field, you get that special rapport and you get to see them in different lights. Now, Mike, we brought you in to talk Chicago Bears. So we're gonna segue over into that. I'm gonna read off some stats for you because I think this is really interesting. Over the last five games, the Chicago Bears offense is different. It was completely dysfunctional for most of the season. But over the last five games, they are averaging 33 points a game. The Chicago Bears are averaging 33 points a game. I had to double check the math on this one just to make sure that it was right. Uh, David Montgomery has 689 all-purpose yards, 529 rushing yards over the last five games. He has 1,001 yards rushing. And in the last five games, 529 yards of those, right? It's, it's incredible. Mitchell Trubisky over the last five games, 1,025 yards, 10 touchdowns to four interceptions. Allen Robinson, 458 yards. We got to talk with the York High School head football coach, Mike Fitzgerald last week. Phenomenal conversation, you know, talking about how the Bears have implemented a bit of a a zone run scheme. uh, And it would seem that Sam Mustafer, Cody White here, and Alex Bars have been somewhat of the catalyst for this change. Would you agree with that? And maybe would you talk to us a little bit about how you see this bears, uh, improving over, over the, the last five weeks.
1: Yeah, those are all, those are all great points. And you know, the, the, the stats it, on one hand stats speak for themselves, but, but on the other hand, I, I would just throw this out there. It, it struck me a little bit today as I was watching them play a one in 13, 13 team that your opponent has something to do with that as well. And and you don't write the schedule; you just play the games. Um, I think this end of the season schedule has favored the Bears more than the middle did, when they struggled significantly. I know they also, they they had some injury issues. Uh, I think they 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 missed some starts, particularly on the offensive line, with some some COVID casualties in there, which are hard. You know, when you think of the size of the NFL roster. It, you, don't, you don't carry that many offensive linemen. And so when you lose two or three to contact tracing or something of that effect, it, it's going to be hard to overcome that, especially if you're going to be playing against a, a, a really competitive team. Now, I, I do believe, uh, I was raised a Bears fan. I'm, I'm sort of old school football. I know a lot of people down here in Texas certainly don't agree with me, but, but you, to win football games, you have to be able to run the ball and stop the run. I mean, that's, that's at the end of the day, it, it's a very, very simple game that comes down to blocking and tackling. Everything else is like extra. And, and I, I think that the Bears offensive line, I don't know, and I haven't spent enough time looking at it, so I can't definitively tell you it was, it was this one move, it was this one person getting injured. Uh, but I really, really like their offensive line right now. And, and again, go back to the stats you threw out there. The, the stats do speak for themselves in that regard where they've, they've they had to juggle it around. They move some guys around and they, they've found what I think is a very successful combination and love to see them just continuing in that direction, right? I, I think it begins and ends again with blocking and tackling. And I think the defense is playing very well right now. I think the offensive line is playing very well right now. Uh, David Montgomery is having, the, in reality, he's he's now having the kind of year that I think all of us expected he would have. It just, it just took them a while to get it going, and and I really really like their offensive line play, uh, particularly the three interior guys, the guards in the center, which which I don't believe any of them are are right now playing at the position that they start. I think two of them didn't even start the year as starters, so. So whatever whatever caused them to do the shuffle up and the mix up, uh, it has worked for them, and and in that regard, I'll, I'll give a, a thumbs up to to coaching, and and maybe it was just, maybe it was just dumb luck, I don't know, but it, but it worked, and and it, and I'll still give a high five to the coaching because they've been smart enough not to mess with it again.
0: So so Mike, can I just ask your opinions on Matt Maggie? Bill Laser, the new off, you know, the new play caller, any of that? Do you, do you kind of have an opinion on, on either that? Because you mentioned coaching.
1: Um, of course I have an opinion on it. Um, I know, well, I know I've never been convinced that Matt Nagy is, is a head coach. And I've never been, he's never convinced me. I know he, he lit the world on fire his first year. Um, and, and maybe if I spent more time going back and looking at that season, I'd, I'd find a whole lot of like one play here with you know, a lot of balls bouncing the right way that, that made the Bears look way better than they were really supposed to be. Um, but, but I also think the Bears have always been, they're the monsters of the midway. Right? They're, they're a team that, that is supposed to be built on defense and, and you have an offense that manages the ball. I think, I think Matt Nagy is not an offensive minded person that wants to manage the football. I think he wants I think he's really aggressive and I think it dominates his play calling and and I don't know enough about the the differences between him and laser and and, and what their opinions are. I just know I mean like I I watched the game today and on first and goal they ran a jet sweep handing the ball off to a tight end. That won't work on any level. I, I and that's that's like why why do you think that's so cute? It's not it's like they're trying to outthink themselves, and and the games the games just not that complicated. The other big knock I would have on Nagy goes back to, and and I know you you've recently had a guest on and had some conversations specifically about about quarterbacks, and I, I was never sold on Mitch Trubisky from the start. I I think they way way overpaid to get him. Cle- clearly that's been demonstrated now. Um, but so he's successful now and, and now the bears have a really tough decision. What are they, what are they going to do next year with Mitch Trubisky, especially if they go, if they go and they beat green Bay and they make the playoffs, that that's going to be, a, what are they going to give him another year or are they going to part ways with him and try to bring in a new quarterback? And, and I think that that decision ultimately should be the determinant of Matt Nagy's fate, because. Matt Nagy, he's an offensive, he's a quarterback guru. He's had three years with Mitch Trubisky. And if, if Mitch if Mitch Trubisky's still not making reads and he's, that's, there's an old saying, right? That if they're not learning, then you're not teaching. So you can, you can say all you want about what you were handed. But if you're, if you're a coach and your job is to coach the quarterback and to make this offense successful when the quarterback is not learning and he's not progressing you're not coaching him and, and that's what that's my biggest critique i think of matt and maggie right now is that it's it's it, it all seems to fall back on the well i didn't, he's not my guy he was brought in before me i you know okay fine but he's your guy and and in reality your your livelihood is staked to making him successful and you didn't do it now, what, what has caused the, you know, the renaissance of Mitch Trubisky in these last couple weeks, you know, that, is, that has made him, I, I still saw him throw an interception in the end zone today, right? So uh, he, he's obviously not perfect, but, but he's manageable. And if, and, and if you have a quarterback who can manage the game and not take points off the board by throwing interceptions in the end zone, when you have a top tier defense, it doesn't matter if your offense is in the top. It doesn't matter if they're in the top 25 even. I, I don't know where the Bears sit overall. I think I saw a stat today that they were you know, 27th or something in, in one of the categories. Um, and I, think they're, I think they're dead last in the NFL in third down conversions, which is a pretty important statistic. But if you've got a defense that can keep you in games, you don't need an offense to be in the top five. I, I think I saw last year and I should, I should have, maybe I shouldn't throw this out there. I should have researched it beforehand, but at the end of the football season last year, when they were going into the playoffs, I saw a statistic uh, in one of the pre-games in week one or in the, the wild card week. And I think if I remember correctly, it said the top five passing offenses in the NFL all failed to make the playoffs. Not a single one of them made the playoffs. And, and I think that would be my last critique of Matt Nagy he just can't get out of his own way, right? Be a head coach, manage the game and let your defense go win you a championship. Because that's, that's I'm a Bears fan, I'm a lifelong Bears fan. That's, that's, that's the Bears football. And, and, and lament the lack of a starting quarterback, the, the inability. If you can run the ball and you can protect the football and you can defend the end zone, you're going to be a very successful team for a long time. And, and I don't think Matt Nagy can come to terms with that, right? And I think he just wants to keep, he wants to be this guy that lights up the scoreboard and puts up, you know, 600 yards of offense every game and, and would be perfectly happy winning a game 47 to 45. The Bears need a guy who's going to win games 16 to 12. So that's, I guess that's, that's my, uh, my opinion on Matt Nagy.
2: No, I think it's a great point, Mike, because I think when we're in the midst of the misery midseason and that losing streak, the BDR staff and everybody had a lot of discussion. Where's the problem? Is it the offensive line? Is it Mitch? You know, is it Matt Nagy? And, and probably on some levels, it was a bit of all of them, but now as this is evolving and changed since, you know, Nagy benched himself, you know, and laser was promoted and Mitch has been brought back. It seems pretty clearly obvious that, that Nagy was the problem, uh, that he had some vision. I was thinking on my walk just now, there's a, there's a fine line, I think, in, in all of life, but in football too, between like, you know, being hard to discourage and staying committed to something and have a, having a singleness of purpose and just being stubborn and, and having diminishing returns. We've both been on those staffs, I think, you know, Mike, where we've we've seen some instance of our leader taking a certain direction and almost everybody in the room is like, oh, man, How can you not see it? And I I think that's probably what was going on with with Matt Nagy that Mitch isn't that great, but he's not nearly as bad (laughs) as he was when when Nagy was calling the plays. And the other thing I would mention just to, to, you know, add to your point is as coaches, our job is to put players in a position that they can succeed. Laser is doing that. And and while that seems like such a, a simple and commonsensical thing, It's not always really very easy for coaches to see. Their egos get in the way. They start reading their own press clippings, and they forget like what's the primary goal, and who do I have at right tackle, and who do I have at quarterback, and what are we capable of doing? And it just seemed like we just kept beating our heads against the wall, trying to do whatever it was that that Nagy had as a vision. I don't know, Kansas City Chiefs probably. And that just that wasn't going to happen. It, we didn't have Tariq Hill. We didn't have Travis Kelsey. We didn't have Pat Mahomes. Uh, but it's just unfortunate, right? Because you, it's almost like it, it, you know, inhibited our growth so much. You know, now we're starting to grow as a team. But damn, too late.
0: The only thing I'll say to that, Jack, and just to give him credit is he he had the courage to say what i'm doing isn't working and i want to make this work as a team to say hey somebody else is going to do this better so i have to give him credit for that now maybe that wasn't his decision maybe that came from the top down but to some extent i have to give him credit he hasn't lost this locker room they lost 6 in a row they came back they're on this three game win streak they they look really really good doing it they have a chance to make the playoffs and, and Mike, I, I, I'm literally, people can't see us, but, but I am applauding as you're saying what you're saying. I, Chicago football is run the ball, play good defense, and it's, it's working. It's working really, really well, 33 points a game.
2: We could probably have a separate podcast just on this question. I have zero doubt about it because we've debated this so much on our podcast, so here goes nothing, Mike. What do you think the Bears' biggest need in the offseason is?
1: Well, I, all that hinges on their decision with what to do with Mitch Trubisky. Uh, if, it's, if it's me personally, I, I think the dude has earned himself another year, whether, whether they make it or not. And, and some of that stems into, again, my opinion of Matt Nagy. I think he's been mismanaged and miscoached. I don't believe he was the best quarterback in that draft class. I think they, they way overdrafted him. But I don't think he's as bad as a cast-off, like a total failure. So I'm inclined, especially if they, again, if they can win next week, if they can, think about that. If you're a Bears fan, I mean, what better situation could there possibly be? There's, there's win and in. And oh, by the way, you have to beat the Packers to do it. That's the best possible situation. If he can do that, if they can go in and they can be to take care of business, beat the Packers, make the playoffs, I think he's earned himself another year. Uh, in which case, quarterback is no longer your number one priority, right? You can, you can shuffle it someplace else. I, 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 do, I really, really do like their offensive line. Uh, however, I, I don't ever think you can go wrong drafting an offensive lineman high. And, and based on where the Bears, even if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to be a middle-of-the-pack draft. They're not going to be in the top 10. And, and, I, and I, I understand it's risky blowing an early pick on a lineman. It's, it's not sexy. Uh, a lot of people scoff at it. But when you're in the middle of the pack, if, if you can go out and you can, you can land an offensive tackle that, that's going to be on your offensive line for the next six years, seven years, and and you don't You don't necessarily need him. Now, I haven't looked in depth at what the contract situation looks like for all of their offensive linemen right now. But most of those guys are pretty young and they'll have an opportunity to keep them for a while. So if you drafted an offensive lineman in the first round, you don't have to play him that first year, which I know kind of goes against conventional wisdom. A lot of people think if you're going to spend a first round draft pick on somebody, they got to get on the field if you can get yourself a tackle or something like that, that that is that good. And he works himself into a starting position, then the more the merrier. I think you're in a good spot though, where you can add depth. Um, So I think that's their, their biggest need. Uh, Obviously I think the secondary could, could use a little bit of help. Uh, They, they appear overmatched a lot. Um, So I think that's where I would look going into the next draft. Uh, Obviously if, if, if the, de- if the decision is made to, uh, to part ways with Mitch Trubisky, then quarterback becomes a much more imminent uh, need. And, and I know this year is, is supposed to be a fairly deep quarterback class, which looking around the league, maybe, they can maybe get somebody in the second round. They don't have to spend a first round pick. And then maybe they should do that anyway. Well, I, I would say they should do that anyway. They need to pick up a quarterback. To, to add to the roster but but then that brings me to my other i guess I, I see one of three outcomes to this Bears season and you know short of them making a deep run in the playoffs and 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 turning that middle of the season into a fluke which it, they may do that they may still do that if that's the case then i don't see a reason to blow anything up i i know as well as anybody that this year covid added a whole bunch of extra challenges. It it changed the dynamic of everything and and no one should be faulted for that, whether you're a GM or a coach uh, on on down the line because there's there's just some things that were way out of your control. Um, But if the Bears do decide to part ways with Mitch Trubisky, then I don't see any way that they can keep Ryan Pace. Uh, and as, as a Bears fan, as a Bears fan, I do not want Ryan Pace to have any hand in choosing whoever the next quarterback is. Because I'll give you, here's a list. Mike Glennon, Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles. Those are the three quarterbacks that Ryan Pace has brought in. And remember, he, he came in from this in his mind, he's getting Drew Brees. He thinks it's that easy when he signs all these guys and he brings them in. It's why he paid Mike Glennon. I think I, I looked it up earlier, $45 million. They paid Mike Glennon. He, what he traded a total of four draft picks to get Mitch Trubisky. And then he traded a pick and threw $21 million at Nick Foles. That's over seventy million and five five draft picks in three quarterbacks who haven't won a playoff game.
0: It's, it's, it's pretty bad. We uh, Actually, at the beginning of the season, I actually wrote a piece on BeardownReport.com that you can read about uh, Ryan Pace's tenure and overpaying for players. This is something a good friend of mine, uh, Rob Kirkland, threw out to me. The Bears are still paying Mike Glennon. They're paying him to play against him uh, in the Jaguars-Bears uh, game. Just
1: unbelievable. And for a half of football, it looked like he might actually beat them. So, so the only way I see both of those guys returning, and this is personally, like uh, there's no analysis to this, is me as a Bears fan. The only way I would be good seeing both of those guys coming back next year is them beating the Packers next week and, and winning at least one. It'd be great if they could go two rounds deep in the playoffs. Because when you look at the roster, that's where this team should be. Anything less than that is an underperformance. And and it's and it's on the heels of a tremendously disappointing year, the year before. And in the NFL, when you're talking about the kind of money that that's thrown around, no nobody deserves three three years. You get two years to fix it, and if you can't, then sorry, you you didn't you didn't get it done.
2: If you grow up a Bears fan, you grow up with a deep-seated dislike of the Green Bay Packers, right? The cheeseheads. Uh, beyond the cheese curtain and so growing up do you have any memories of uh, you know Bears Packers games uh, anecdotes that you have friends that or family that you had that was that was a Packers fan just the rivalry in your experience with it uh, you know in your past Mike
1: Uh yeah that's a that's a great question uh, I've got a lot of lot of very and I, I will call them fond memories of, of the Bears-Packers rivalry. And, and I actually, I had to go back to, to confirm that my memory was correct. I went back and I looked at it. So from the time I was born until the time I graduated high school, the Chicago Bears were 24 and 10 against the Green Bay Packers. So, so for a 18 year stretch, the Bears were by all measures successful against the Packers. And I can remember every year, my my dad was a firefighter, and there was another person on the the fire department who had season tickets. And and every year, he would give my dad tickets to a game. And it would always be like the last home game of the season or the second to last because he never wanted to go in late December and freeze. So that's when we would go. And it it seemed like it was always the Bears-Packers. A couple times it was Bears-Lions. But I felt like every year we were going to a Bears-Packers game late December and the seats were way up in the top of the north end zone, the horseshoe. And it would be so cold, but we went there all the time. It was my dad, me, my brother, and then one of my uncles would go along. And, and, I, and I remember like the Bears winning, like the Bears would beat the Packers. The, I would go, I would watch, <laughs> I would freeze. I'd drink like three hot chocolates and we'd watch the Bears Beat the Packers, and then we'd get in the car, we'd drive home, and we would stop at White Castle and get a crave case, <laughs> and we would eat a crave case of White Castles on the way home from the Bears-Packers game, and then so, hurry
0: home as fast as possible.
2: I was going to say that <laughs> ride. The rest of that ride must have just been <laughs> terrible. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so that was that. I mean, that, growing up, that was that was my memories of. Bears Packers. Now, Jack, we we had this conversation. I think we probably had this conversation more than once, but but I remember, you know, because your your kids are essentially the same age as mine. And and we were lamenting the fact that not only were the bears bad, but they had no one likable on the team. Like we I was I could not find a person whose jersey I wanted to buy. You know, I'm standing here, I'm sitting here talking to you guys wearing a Walter Payton jersey. In my closet, I have a Walter Payton jersey, I have a Dan Hampton jersey. I couldn't, I want my kid to, to be raised a Bears fan, but I couldn't buy him a jersey. And I think we ultimately settled at the time on Brad Maynard. I think Brad Maynard was like the only guy that was worthy of spending money buying his jersey. The punter, such dark times. And I, I went back and I looked at this. So. He was, a,
0: I was, he, he was a pretty good punter, well, though, Mike. You, you got to say, he you got to give him credit there.
1: <laughs> but, but at the same time, that's what the Bears did to us. That the, he, was a, he was a great punter. But if I wanted a jersey, I had to buy a punter's jersey. Or I had to go to the clearance rack and buy the retread of whatever quarterback they had cut that year.
2: And it's true, too, because, I mean, they were miserable during our childhoods, but they had Walter. So you can buy the Walter Payton jersey and he was clearly likable both off and on, on the field. But yeah, it's just, I mean, even now they're like kind of suffering watching this and we had the payoff of the 85 bears, you know, you want them to have some payoff too, and to have some players that they can really love and get behind and kind of remember when they get to be older.
0: So, so Mike, yeah. I, I, I got to ask, is there a player currently right now that, that you do really like? A, a player that you're watching that you would buy for your kids to wear that jersey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, that's, that's where I was going to go to next. So, so as I was also going through and looking at the, the, the breakdown of the Bears-Packers rivalry. So, so again, when I left high school, the Bears had been 24 and 10 against them. Since then, they're 13 and 41 against the Packers. My oldest son, here's where it's even worse. The guy, the guy, by the way, is a diehard Packers fan. My oldest son is a diehard Packers fan. He's wearing a Packers jersey right now for his birthday. All he wanted to do last year, we made a trip to New York City so he could watch the Packers play the Giants Thanksgiving weekend for his birthday present. and. This year, if not for COVID, his grandfather was going to take him to see the Bears play at Lambeau, but but we're not traveling now. So, So that's where he's at. The Bears against the Packers, since he turned four, since he turned four and probably can remember watching football games, the Bears are four and 20 against the Green Bay Packers.
2: You can't blame him. I mean, you can't, you can't blame call him it a for,
1: rivalry even.
2: No, you can't. But you can't blame your son for that either. I mean, and by the way, that is the ultimate of unconditional love. That's like my son, Connor, being a Cubs fan. In a family of diehard White Sox fans, it is one of the hardest things that you ever do in your life. But you love your son, and so you you, you got to go with it, right? It's not Absolutely. easy. It's not
1: and easy. So, so to answer your question, Ryan, two years ago for his birthday – I bought him a Roquan Smith jersey. And and he and I will I will next week I will make him wear it to the first day of school after after the Bears beat the Packers.
0: I love it. Roquan, phenomenal player. So Absolutely. Mike, uh, just two questions left for, for today's pod. The the question that we're we're wondering is is there a way in which you see this game playing out? I know you talked about how bad it's been for the Bears, but do you see that maybe the Bears can win? And is there a particular matchup that you'll be kind of clued into for this game?
1: Yeah, I think, right, I, the matchup I'll be clued into is, is the Bears' secondary against the, the Packers' receiving core. Uh, I, I am not. I haven't been for a long time. I've, I'm not overly impressed with the Packers' ability to run the football. I think the Bears will do a good job stopping that game, which as a defensive guy, that's what you want. Make an offense one-dimensional. Now, it's a double-edged sword because, unfortunately, we, we all we know very well that Aaron Rodgers has, has made a career slayers secondaries. And, and so that's why that's the, that's the matchup that I'm, I'm most looking at. I, I, I do believe. The Bears will stop the Packers' run game. And as a defensive coordinator, that's what you want. Make that offense one dimensional. The, the problem is, is, it means the game is going to be won or lost in that matchup, I think, between Aaron Rodgers and his wide receivers and the Bears' secondary. And I think it's, it's going to come down, it's going to be a bend and don't break. I think if the, if the Bears are going to give up yards, the Packers are going to move the ball. If they can keep them out of the end zone, they're going, to, they're going to need a, a critical turnover at some point, whether it's a, you know, a fumble or, or an interception. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't looked that far ahead. You know, weather always going to play a, a part in a game this late in the season. It, it, it seems like it always does between these two teams, but, but I think for the most part, professionals can overcome most of those weather problems. So that, that's what I'll be looking at. Uh, and maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm be looking at the wrongs. The, wrong, the Bears are still going to have to score points. I think, I think if their offense can play, you know, if, the, if the offense that showed up in the third quarter today is what takes the field next week, then then I absolutely like the Bears' chances. And, and in fact, I, I feel pretty confident about their ability to win that game. If, if the offense that showed up in the first half today is what takes the field, then, then we might be struggling.
0: Mike, it is time for our absolute favorite segment. Uh, we have had some big unpopular opinions that have, that have come through Jack's uh, disdain for Johnny Depp, uh, my uh, dislike of mashed potatoes, last week it was Mike Fitzgerald saying he doesn't like Italian beef and he always puts ketchup on his hot dogs. So Mike, we got to ask, what is your unpopular opinion?
1: So of all, of all the things I, I devoted time to trying to prep for, I think I spent more time thinking about this one. Uh, it, was, it was tough. My, my, my mind went in a bunch of different directions, but, but every time I think I landed on, I'm somewhere in the mainstream on most, most things, but this one, and, and I don't know how many people have experienced both, and I know in my household, at least among my wife and my children i am in the minority and it is a most unpopular opinion i am an absolute diehard fan of disneyland over disney world if ever given the choice i'm going to southern california i'm going to disneyland you can keep central florida and disney world
0: I did not expect that at all. I, I thought this was going to go a million different directions. All right, so so why? I mean, one is considerably smaller than the other. I mean, it, that is you're right. That is an unpopular opinion.
1: Uh, well, it's it's the original, it's the first, and it's also it's it's Southern California. Can't can't argue with the location. The the same same weather virtually every day of the year. I just I don't know. I, I, I've I've been to both places twice now. Oh maybe I've been to Disney World three times now. I would if I if it's ever my choice, I'm going to Disneyland. Going old school.
0: Mike, we want to thank you so much for being a part of the Bear Down Report podcast. Before we let you go, no score, just who do you think (laughs) is gonna win? Bears, Packers, playoffs on the line next week. This week.
1: I tell everybody around here that that I am I consider myself a reluctant Bears fan. Because for some reason, every time they give me hope, they tear my heart out of my chest. But I'm such a sucker, I'm gonna let them do it again. I'm gonna let them do it again. And I, I am, as a, as a football player, as a football coach, as a, just a fan of the game, you cannot dream of a better scenario. It's, it's I mean, it, as a kid, it's the this, it's this scenario, it's the situation you have dreams about. The opportunity to go in, you control your destiny, win the game, go to the playoffs and have a run. And I, I, I truly hope that the, the Bears, they're they're trending in the other direction. They've got momentum now. They if, if you'd have asked me that question five weeks ago, I'd have said no way. I, didn't, I, would, have, I would have told you I didn't think they were going to win another game all year. It'd be like the first team in history to go, what were they, five and, five and one and then and then 0 for after that. But they, if they can, if the team that, that played the second half today takes the field next week, then I like their chances.
0: Man, I sure hope that you are right. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of it. Mike, thank you for being our guest on the Bear Down Report podcast. Folks, we really, really appreciate uh, any opportunity to share our content either at BeardownReport.com, uh, the podcast, which you can find on all major platforms, please continue to do so. We appreciate it greatly. We want to thank our sponsor one more time, Jeff Cadwallader. Again, folks, if you are looking to buy or sell a home in the Chicagoland area, you got to give our guy Jeff a call. Wonderful, wonderful guy. Give him a call. Be fantastic. It's Packers week. Man, we are really, really hoping for a Bears victory and a playoff berth. Folks, as always, bear down.